Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Hey now, welcome back to the Daily Jungle. Glad you found it. Friday in the books. Lots of action on today's program. We were all over the board. We covered pretty much everything. Three excellent interviews. Colorado Rockies center fielder Charlie Blackman gets into his hotel at 3.30 in the morning and still makes it in. Titans linebacker and captain Wesley Woodyard, excellent again. And racing legend Mario Andretti, 77 years young, the master of cool, good as he's ever been. All of that, my epic takes. Alvy's week that was and more. Alvy, roll it. What a night in Smashville. Unbelievable game last night. Preds fan, ready to rip the roof off that joint. Kelly Clarkson, getting the evening started by singing the national anthem. And let me stop you right there. I do not need your takes on Belly Clark Bar or Jelly Clark Weighs a Ton, etc. Just leave it alone. The Kings of Leon chugging Coors Lights. Preds fans throwing dead ducks on the ice. And Anaheim getting a win. They absolutely had to have to tie that series up at two games apiece. But the Ducks didn't just win that game. They didn't just win it. They won it choked it away, and then ripped it right back with an overtime game winner from Corey Perry that deflected off of star defenseman P.K. Subban's stick. Subban, first to play it from Pecorini, intercepting is Perry. Try to push it in front, they score! The Ducks score! Nate Thompson redirects the feed from the wall from Perry, and the Ducks win game four the Western Conference. Final series, 3-2, to 10-33 the time, first overtime. Veteran guys get it done. The Ducks go home for game five in a 2-2 series tie. Ducks radio, so much to unwrap there. The veteran guys did get it done. That's one of the themes of the night. The veteran guys did get it done. And P.K. Subban, so awesome. I'm not being funny. I mean, he is awesome. What an awesome player. Tremendous dude. Does he get the first star, though, for scoring the game winner? That was inadvertent and unfortunate for them. Incredible theater, though, for the rest of us. I mean, what an amazing implosion that was by the Ducks, who did everything they could to win that game in the first 50 minutes. And then everything they could to lose that game in the last 10 minutes of regulation. Remember, the Preds had skated circles around the Ducks in Game 3. But Anaheim controlled the pace from the puck drop last night. They outshot Nashville 14-2 in the first period. They silenced the crowd with a goal from Ricard Raquel and extended their lead after two with an absolute snipe from winger Nick Ritchie in the second. But, and a lot of times with the Ducks, there is a but. But after being bottled up for the game's first 53 minutes, the Preds finally do break loose. And if Nashville weren't dangerous enough already, duck after duck took dumb penalty after dumb penalty. Four trips to the sin bin in the third period, including a late game five on three advantage that Anaheim somehow managed to kill. But they still could not survive Phil Forsberg's game tire with an empty net and just 35 seconds to play. Quick try there by Neal deflected up. And it stays in play. Buck picked up Arvidsson. In front. One try, two. Yes. And it's tied up. Philip Forsberg plays it up. 
Preds Radio. If you're a Ducks fan, that guy is your worst nightmare right about now. And an example of why the Preds are so dangerous. I mean, sure, they're fast as hell. They're extremely skilled. But man, they're tough. They're tough and they grind and they play so hard. You don't see skilled guys play that hard. And Forsberg is a great example of that. And every time he's on the ice, you expect something good to happen to the Preds and something bad to happen to the Ducks. And when Anaheim imploded and that game went to OT, the Ducks did look dead in the water because they weren't coming back from that meltdown. Not last night, not in that house, and not in the series. No way they win three in a row against the Preds or that goalie. And then, just as they shook that horrible Game 7 curse, it was all coming back to Anaheim. And letting that game and that series get away was going to stick to those guys forever. I mean, it was that bad. Book the tee times, bad. Cancel Game 5, bad. A hollow point to the forehead with a self-inflicted kill shot. That bad. Completely losing their composure and choking away a third-period lead. And doing it after brilliantly killing off that five-on-three late. Look, I'm spending a lot of time on this because that game was that amazing. Or at least we all thought it was that bad. Because that's what makes the Ducks so incredible. Not dead, can't quit. Not dead, can't quit. And while they do commit some really dumb penalties, and that does have to stop, these dudes are all heart and veteran poise and leadership does matter. Bottom line here, the Preds are still scary. They're still dangerous. But the fact is, they are mortal. They're not unbeatable at home. And come to find out, the Ducks' brawn and their experience may in fact trump the Preds' unbelievable skill and skating ability and speed. Because it did last night. And now we do have a series. Best of three where anything can happen. And if you watch that game, it's evidence once again that the NHL postseason is the best postseason. And this is the best series. And after four games, it's about to get even better. A series that would have been over had the Ducks lost and it looked like they had. But that's why you never give up on this crew. Even if they look like they've thrown it all away. Not dead, can't quit. They're still alive. Charlie Blackman. Charlie, what's up? How are you? Hey, Jim. Thanks for having me. My man, you got in late last night. Did you get enough sleep? Did they wake you up for this? Uh, we, yeah, we, we got in about 3.30 or so. It was pretty late. Just woke up, to be honest. All right, man. Well, thanks for uh, picking me up like that, Charlie. Hope they didn't roll you out for this one, but good to have you back. You did split a doubleheader in Minnesota yesterday, and as a team, you've gotten off to a really nice start in April, but there seemed to be this thought, Charlie, that maybe, you know, it's a good start, but the Dodgers and Giants are going to catch up. They're going to overtake you guys, but now we're a week from Memorial Day, and you're still in first, so is it a good start, or is this who you guys are? Um, good question. <laughs> no, I think, you know, I believe in our team. I think we're a good team. Uh, I have lots of reasons why I think that way, but uh, I totally get it. You know, like there's no, until we go out and do something, you know, uh, there's no reason to, to just think that we're going to be awesome this year. Uh, you know, we haven't done it in the past is what I'm trying to say. Uh, talk is cheap. So and until we actually do something about it, um, you know, I don't expect people to believe in it. But you're there right now. Now, Charlie, you are putting up some really big numbers from that leadoff spot. In fact, you're just the second leadoff hitter in the past 10 years with 30 runs batted in the first 40 games, and you are putting up big numbers there. I know you're not looking to make it about yourself, but your manager, Bud Black, has said that you're one of the best leadoff hitters in the game. What's it mean to hear that from him, and what's it been like playing for and working with Bud Black? Bud Black's great. Um, I feel like he's doing a really good job this year. 
uh, you know, he keeps the clubhouse loose and um, he's making all the right moves. You know, he, he's just doing a great job. And, uh, you know, I think if you're getting production, you know, from, from different parts of the order, that, that just tells me that, that you're, you know, you're seven, eight, nine, uh, pitcher, you know, or, or, are being very productive. You know, those guys are getting on base. The pitchers are doing their job, uh, punting guys over. So I, I think it's just kind of a, a good team offense gauge right there. Charlie Blackman's joining us, Rockies outfielder. You know, a lot of guys like to talk about hitting, but your teammate DJ LeMahieu says he can't talk to you because, quote, he has a formula for hitting in his head. I can't understand it, end quote. Look, I'm not going to ask you, look, I'm not going to ask you, Charlie, to reveal your secrets to my audience and explain your formula, but how did you develop your approach at the plate, whatever it is? I, I do a lot of weird stuff. Um, uh, I feel like I've just done enough stuff that doesn't work that I'm kind of trying to, you know, I'm, I'm only holding on to what does work. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll do different things. You know, it's, it's not just the same approach for me every time. You know, a uh, guy's got a sinker, I might do something different. guy's got late life on his fastball, I might do something different. Or uh, maybe a guy likes a slider, you know, maybe I'll do something different. So I have, like, adjustments for every type of, uh, of situation and um, you know I thought everybody was like that but but maybe they aren't you know so uh, so I got some weird stuff I do I got it now when you and I talked last season we talked about your journey to the bigs and the fact that you felt a sense of urgency every single day to deliver but now that you're an all-star now that you're a silver slugger do you feel like you've established yourself or do you have that same sense of urgency uh I still think I have the same sense of urgency because we haven't, you know, we haven't, we haven't been a good team and that, uh, yet, you know, uh, we haven't made the playoffs, you know, those are all the goals. I think, um, you know, if your goal is to, is to, for team success, you know, all that individual stuff will, will be nice, but, uh, but you can't go wrong if you're just out there trying to win games and, and we haven't, you know, we haven't done that yet, so I haven't accomplished what I, what I really want to do. Hey, Clones, glad you're here. Let me talk to you for a minute about Ferguson. Ferguson is the nation's largest distributor of plumbing products, but their playbook goes deeper than plumbing. Pro contractors know to depend on Ferguson for the best in waterworks, HVAC, and facilities maintenance products in the game. Ferguson has over 20,000 knowledgeable associates always working for you. Combine that with Ferguson's 1,400 locations and 24-7 online ordering, and you will always have the home team advantage. See why the pros pick Ferguson at ferguson.com today. That's Ferguson. Now it's back to our daily jungle. See, here's the thing. I mean, again, I can't keep making it about you, but I've got to ask you about hair for a minute, all right? Because you've got <laughs> some really impressive facial hair. You've got a pretty epic mullet as well. Now, Jared Allen, the former NFL player, used to say, the mullet's not a hairdo, it's a lifestyle. Do you feel that way too? Done right. Um, I love my mullet. I mean, I think it looks good. And people give me some weird looks. Um, but, you know, I think it kind of fits my personality. And, uh, I mean, it's one of the best decisions I've ever made. Let's just put it like that. I agree with you. I mean, preach. Preach. I, honestly, if people are saying things like that, it's because they can't. It's because they want to hate. It's so easy to hate these days. And not only the mullet. Here's the real thing, Charlie, to me. It's the beard-mullet combo. Now, that can be a really majestic thing. Is there power in the mullet-beard combo? I think there's so much to look at that it can be distracting for the other team. <laughs> right. You know? like, 
right? So, I, I mean, I, I think it's a definite advantage for sure. All right. Now, with that, though, and let's be real for a minute, if you're going to rock the mullet and you're going to have the beard combo, too, with that comes great responsibility. If you hit 200, everybody's going to laugh at you, and then you might even disgrace the mullet community. So when you rock a look like that, do you feel the pressure to put up those silver slugger numbers? <laughs> the, the pressure of the mullet. Yeah, you got to back it up. You know, you can't look like – you can't just look this good and not play good. You know what I'm saying? Like, it, it goes hand in hand. you got to be able to do it both. I agree with you. You can't just look that good and not play well. Charlie Blackman joining us. All right, so let me get caught up on something else, too. When we talked, we talked about your 2004 Jeep Grand Cherokee Laredo that you bought in high school. It's a legendary rig, but you talked about the fact that you've been thinking about maybe getting another car. Have you done that, or are you still rolling in the Grand Cherokee? I'm still rolling in the Grand Cherokee. I haven't gotten rid of it. There's no reason to. It's the job done. Cranks every time I turn the key. It's just a great car. And that car is, what, it's 2004, right? 2004. I got it as a high school graduation gift. How many miles? You know, it's only got, like, it's got just under 150. It's not many. I, I could easily double that. That car's going forever. That's got to be a weekend driver. If you've only got 150 on that, that you got at least I, another decade in that rig. I leave it just parked in the field all summer. You know, I don't, I don't drive it. That's most of the time. Good. Nice so, job. Yeah. I got, I got, I got a long way to go. Now, in the off season, you tweeted a photo of yourself and some other folks with fishing poles, with the caption "Graduation Day after building a fly rod at Oyster Bamboo in Blue Ridge, Georgia." What a great experience with a great group of people. Now, did you build your own fly rod, and what's the process for that? How did that go? Um, so, so you know, playing in, in in Denver, I've really got into fly fishing the last few years, and uh, my dad got me this great birthday gift you, you go up to blue ridge just in north georgia mountains and, and you literally build a fly rod from just a hunk of bamboo you start with a big chunk of bamboo you flame temper it you have to cut it into like 12 different pieces and then like spindle them together and then you have to like hand tie the eyelets in i mean it's it, it takes i think it was like six days for, for like seven hours a day i mean it was it was a lot of work um but it was an awesome experience, uh, a big-time attention to detail. Um, but I spent so much time on, on trying to make it perfect that I'm, I'm absolutely scared to fish this pole. Like, I'm, I'm scared I'll break it or something will go wrong. And, and so now I've got a trophy more than a, than a piece of equipment. Dude, that's an incredible process. So have you not used it? No, no, I'm scared. I don't want to break it. Yeah, but what if you get it out there, and what if you catch what you're looking for? Then how awesome would that be? That would make it worth it. Um, I mean, I need, it's all my list of things to do. I, I want to use it, but I, I just I'm, I don't feel like today's the day. Every time I get out there, I'm like, ah, not, not today. It's no good. You can't force it. I mean, if it's not there, it's not there. And one last okay. thought then, and th- that's amazing to me because I, I kind of see you work, and I could never – I don't have that kind of game, that kind of skill – Certainly not the patience, but I tried to take up fly fishing, Charlie, when we had a place in Montana, and I thought that it was going to solve every problem I have in life, and I just I couldn't do it. I didn't have the game for that either. What is it about fly fishing? I thought it was going to be this great zen experience that when I got out there, I could clear my mind. Is that how it is? I, I love it. Um, so uh, here's here, this is what I'll tell you about it. It's, uh, I like fishing, you know, but fly fishing is – I'm hooked on fly fishing like no other – nothing else um and so right now like my 
I play baseball, but my life is based on food. Like I wake up, I eat, I try and eat like five times a day. And then after the game, I eat, I bring food home and eat before I go to the sleep in the hotel room. Like all I want to do is eat. And when I go fishing, I'm like so locked in on fishing. I can go all day and totally forget to eat and just like not even think about it. It's like this incredible escape where, uh, the only thing I'm focusing on is fish. You know, there's no pressures of the baseball season. You know, there's, you know, you're always in a beautiful place. You're not in a city stuck in traffic. Um, it's, it's just a, a great little mini one day vacation for me when I get an, an off day. All right. So that helps. One last thought then. Is it, is it just fly fishing? I mean, can you get in that same kind of flow process if you're deep sea fishing, bass fishing, line fishing, or is it just fly fishing? No, all of it works. Uh, I think fly fishing is just a little bit different because it's like the super expert level difficulty of regular fishing. You know, like, you know, I, I bring my vice on the road and I tie my own flies and, uh, you know, that, that adds a, a, a different level to it. Um, I went duck hunting this off season. So I used the feathers from the ducks, you know, in my own flies and, uh, so it just kind of, there's a lot to it that I really enjoy about it. Dude, now we're getting deep. Now we're getting deep. So anybody else in the clubhouse into it? Can you get guys to go with you? Do you try and recruit guys to fly fish? No, not really. I mean, yeah. we got a lot of guys that enjoy fishing. We actually went fishing, uh, in Minnesota on Lake Minnetonka last week when we had an off day caught some pipe and a bunch of guys went, um, but fly fishing is kind of its own little niche. I mean, it's, it's, it's You either love it or you're just going to hate it. It's one of the two. So A-Rod hits the broadcast booth for the first time last night. He called the Royals-Yankees game for FS1. And they hyped the hell out of it. That's a big, big deal for him and a big deal for them. And they were all about it. In fact, there was so much about it that they included a pregame pick of his prep from the broadcast booth. The pick included Kevin Burkhart, the play-by-play guy, A-Rod, and A-Rod's game notebook. It was like a journal. He had a notebook with his handwritten prep. You know, I've always said that about athletes. If you want to get into broadcasting, you have to attack that job the way you did your previous job. You have to attack that game the way you did the other game. It's never going to be as exhilarating. It's never going to be as fun. You'll never get the same rush from it, but it's still a job. And you have to go at it. And you have to prepare for that the way you did your career. And it looked like A-Rod was. He shows up, handwritten notes. He's got a journal. He's got a notebook. You know, I'm impressed. He looks the part, sounds the part, and apparently prepared for that part. Except when you zoom in, and of course the internet did. The eye in the sky. In that notebook, the word child was written down and underlined. Now, look, we all prepare in different ways. We all get ready for our work in different ways. You know, child, I don't know. I don't know what that represented. I don't know what child had to do with a Royals-Yankees game. You know, maybe, child, please. Whatever it was, it was written down and it was underlined. But then right below it were three bullet points. Birth control. Baby. And last and certainly not least, quote, pull out stuff. <laughs> Child, birth control, baby, pull out stuff. You know what? That's like, that's like, that's like a bad Matt in Cleveland call. 
global uh, warming, Christy Alley, global uh, warming. birth control, uh, Christy uh, Alley, Christy Alley, uh, pull out uh, stuff, uh, Val Kilmer, Maverick, Peanut butter and jelly, uh, condoms, uh, uh, prophylactics, uh, uh, toaster, or Dr. Pepper. Look, the internet. Also, the undefeated, unscored upon goalie. You're not slipping anything past it and into the net. The biscuit ain't finding that basket. There are eyes everywhere. Every little detail will be caught and discovered. If you lose a thread on the lapel of your suit, the internet will find it and roast you for it. That's just how it goes. Peek before you post. Attention to detail. Let that be a lesson to everybody, especially A-Rod. One step forward, two steps back. Right when you think you can trust this guy. And he's done the hard work on himself. And his image makeover is nearly complete. He shows up to his first broadcast booth, prepped and ready. He's done his homework. Too bad his homework was about how to not end up on Maury. Andrew, you are not the fuck. Birth control, baby. Wrong show, A-Rod. He prepped the wrong game. Baggy as he ever was. Hey, dude, are you broadcasting a Major League Baseball game or are you teaching 7th grade health? (laughs) For this guy's sake. For this guy's sake, you better hope it was a prank. We all better hope it was a prank. That somebody likes this guy. And you only mess with guys that you like, right? That somebody was messing with him and wrote it in the book as a joke. You know, like he's one of the fellas. And they were pimping him. Then again, what are the chances of that happening? He's not one of the fellas. He's not one of the boys. And it seems like something he absolutely would write in his journal. I mean, damn, Alex, you really had us. You really had us, and I really was starting to think that you might be the one dude who really could change. The one dude who could get us to look at you in a different light. But with that one cheating, or with that one journal post, it all came rushing back. Getting fake baked and lying on national TV. Cheating. Marking your spot and your territory at Cousin Yuri's house. Yelling, ha, at an infielder trying to catch a pop-up. Trying to knock the ball out of somebody's glove. I'll give you this, though. You had us all going. You had us all going for a minute. It almost worked. Next time, remember that eye in the sky. On the internet, somebody is always watching. And if you say, or you do, or you write something stupid, or you write about birth control and, quote, pull out stuff, it will go viral before you can erase it. Because the internet's in ink. You can't erase it or liquid paper it or bleach it. It's there forever. You cannot scrub it. I mean, really, I'm not making this up. That's what he wrote. Well, that's what somebody wrote. And that's what Fox blasted out to the world. Letting the world in on a conversation that I'm guessing A-Rod did not mean for public consumption. But bro, I am here to help. I'm here because I've had that awkward conversation. The birds and the bees talk with both Jake and Logan. So let me go Mythbusters for you one more time before you hit Jenny from the block with that list. And after all, was that list not for her? Must have been, right? Maybe. Hey, Al, babies do not come from storks. Drinking Pepsi or Dr. Pepper right after wrestling is not going to help. 
pull and pray. Not a good strategy. Birth control is not 100% reliable. I mean, dude, we get it. You're dating J-Lo. You think she's hot. Great. But before you get her name inked on your lower back, and before you go on some talk show and start jumping on a couch, just dial this thing back. Take it slow. Maybe talk to a guidance counselor before you take that next step. And most of all, do not write that in your notebook if you're going to bring your notebook to work with you and everybody's going to see it. (laughs) Just trying to help. Man, that guy had me going. I mean, for a minute, I really thought this guy reinvented himself. Wesley Woodyard is my guest. Wesley, good to have you back on. How are you? Good to be on, Jim. How about yourself? Good, good. Wesley, how are things? Uh, They're going great, man. Out out in Orlando, enjoying some of this hot weather down here. (laughs) Can't beat that, man. Can't beat that. Listen, I want to talk to you about what you guys did last season and what that means for the coming season. But first, you were a part of a broadcast boot camp earlier this week. What's a day in the boot camp like, and what was the experience like for you? Well, I tell you, it started around about 7.30 each morning, and, and we didn't get, get back to the hotel till almost 8.30, 8 o'clock at night. But it, it was amazing for us to just get the experience, man, to go there, wake up immediately, go on set, you know, film some stuff, and then get critiqued on it, and then just go through a bunch of courses of, of the right way to do things and the wrong way to do things. So it was a pretty exciting experience, man. We did that from uh, – Monday till Thursday. I just we just uh, left yesterday, actually. So it was great, man, being there with a bunch of a uh, future Hall of Famer, and you know, and Big Demarcus Ware, and a bunch of other guys like Roman Harper. Man, it, it, was, it was a lot of fun. I was gonna say there were some really good dudes there too. You mentioned Demarcus Ware, Roman Harper, James Laurinaitis was there, Matt Forte. Yeah. So what's it like to spend some time with that group? Man, it was it was it was really cool, man. Me and James, we actually got to sit there we were waiting to take a group picture and you know i'm a huge linebacker fan james is one of one of the guys that i actually give credit to in the nfl for being being a really good linebacker and we got to discuss a lot about defensive schemes and you know what what do linebackers do in four threes what does linebacker do in three fours it was amazing man just to sit there and be around so much football knowledge but you wouldn't even realize the people behind the scenes that nfl films they know way more football than actually actually the NFL players. So that was pretty interesting too, man. And and I tell you what, one other guy that really blew my mind, great person to be around. He he brings the best out of everybody that he comes in contact and that and that's a guy named James Brown. Everybody know him from being on T V and he's just one of those guys that no matter what you're going through, he brightens up everybody's day and and that's something that we all strive to be like in that profession. Wesley Woodyard joining us. You know, it's such high praise, Wesley. And because I work on the NFL and CBS, and I do that show eight times a year, I, I spend time with James Brown. It's so true. He he literally might be the best guy in the business. And you're right. He's got an interest in literally everybody he comes in contact with. <laughs> and you know what they say about all the great athletes, right? They make everybody around them better. That's what JB right. does. He makes everybody around him better. Absolutely, man. I can, I can think back on set, you know. A lot of us will stumble, and most of us will get up there beside him and just, like, get kind of starstruck. Like, I'm sitting next to freaking James Brown. But what he does, let's say if a guy happens to stumble on set, he's so good and so, like, into the conversation that he's having with you. He's able to just kick right back up and keep you on your feet and, and, not, and not make you, like, stress out about anything, man. And like you said, great, great athletes make players around them better, and James makes – 
people around him a lot better. And it just makes you push you at ease when you get on, get on set with him. We're talking to Wesley Woodyard. All right, so Tom Brady famously talked about playing into his mid-40s. You're 30. You're still a young guy. You signed an extension. You've got a lot of football left. Any idea how much you have left? For instance, we have an idea in your head when it's time to leave the game, or are they going to have to rip that jersey off your back? <laughs> I always tell everybody they're going to have to kick me out of the NFL. But, you know, my – my golden number of reaching would be would be 13 years. You know, I'm gonna send that year 10 if I can if I can get me three more years in. That'll be amazing, and then I'll take it from there. I'm like, well, if I wake up in the morning, do I want to go to work or do I want to just sit back and relax for a little while? That's when I'll make that decision. But that pretty much gonna have to kick me out the league. That's all. It's gonna have to be 32 teams that don't want to give me a job. <laughs> I mean, it, it's such a great point. Do you think there's ever going to be that morning where you wake up where you don't want to go to work, where you don't want to get the work in, where you're not into the process? I, I tell you what, man, I I go to work every day, and I love the sport that I play. So I really feel like it's going to be hard, man. You know, I sit next to some guys that, that, that make it easy coming to work, man. I look down the look, – look across the, from my locker, and I see freaking Marcus Mariota who's just <laughs> – Smiles all the day. I look down the down the locker room and I see a guy that's becoming one of my great, greatest friends on the team, on and off the field. And that's Jarrell Casey. When you have certain teammates like that, that's that are around you, you really enjoy going into work because it takes away from being a football practice. You go from having a relationship with guys to hey man, I'm going, I'm going, basically, I'm going to work to do with my brothers. And I think that's what's special about this game of football. You know, I think part of that, Wesley, is it's good to be with guys that you re- respect and admire and guys that you want to roll with. But at the same time, you see them that way, and then they see you a certain way. And what I mean by that is you've been a captain all three years that you've been in Tennessee, which is not a surprise since you've been a captain every single season since high school, no matter where you've been. It's an amazing streak. What's it mean to you, and then how do you approach being a leader? But, you know, it goes back to what we said, pulling the best out of everybody. I think that's one of my greatest uh, attributes as being a teammate. You know, if it's a guy going through a problem on the field or off the field, I feel like it's my duty and it's my and my personality to, you know, make them great, make them make them be better than they were, man. So I find myself a lot of the times, you know, challenging guys around me to become better players and it, it comes easy to me and I think that's something that my teammates respect. You know, I come to work, I'm the same guy and that's something I pride myself in. I always tell the rookies coming in, you know, even through the bad days and the good days are going to come, you have to be the same guy every day. And that's that's whether you have a smile on your face or whether you're working harder every day to be better than yesterday. And that's something that most of my teammates can appreciate. Tennessee Titan, Wesley Woodyard, my guest. I would imagine some of the young guys you're talking about right now, one day they're going to say that when I came up, Wesley Woodyard was there and he had such a great impact on me. So when you came into the league with the Broncos, you were playing with guys like Champ Bailey and Brian Dawkins. Right. What did you learn about leadership and being a pro from those two in particular? I'll tell you what, man. Those those two guys, I can remember coming to, into the Broncos locker room, my first rookie mini camp and seeing Champ Bailey's locker for one, the, those two guys that you mentioned are the only two guys that ha- I've ever seen that had two lockers. <laughs> so that just goes to show you how much clout they have around the building. But those guys came to work every day, and they pushed themselves. Champ Bailey, for example, he would line up at practice. He's the only guy that I've ever seen catch five interceptions in, in a day. Brian Dawkins, he's the only person that I've ever seen come on a blitz, fake strip the quarterback. Well, I'm sorry, let me reverse that. Come on a blitz, beat the running back in protection, fake strip the quarterback, run 
30 yards down the field, chasing a receiver down and strip the ball out of him. Not only does he stop there, picks the ball up, scores, and goes back in the next play. And that's something that that work habit, you can't, you can't ask for anything better to follow than that. But it makes me think of this that one of the veterans told me, you know, if you're not trying to change the game in a positive way, then you shouldn't be in the sport of football. And I think that's something that I live by every day. You know, I'm trying to influence somebody to be great every day. I don't want a guy to be like, well, Wesley Woodyard, he taught me how to do this, and it's the wrong way. I would never be able to live with myself if I left that kind of influence inside the locker room. Tennessee Titans linebacker Wesley Woodyard joining us. Wesley, before you go, you mentioned Marcus Mariota and what it's like to look across the room and see him and to see the kind of passion and enthusiasm he has. The guy threw for 26 touchdowns and only nine picks last season, and he's only two years into his career. How far has he come since he arrived in the league, and how good can he be? He's come a long way. And, you know, I think, it honestly, it, it starts up front. And I think he would do the same thing. He would give those guys a lot of credit, man. He's, our two tackles, man, uh, have kept him upright and, and, and allowed him to make some big plays. But the thing that I like about Marcus is he's the first guy in the building and one of the last guys that leaves. And as an NFL quarterback that's the face of a franchise, you want your star quarterback to be that first and that last guy in the building. And Marcus is a guy, he challenges everybody, you know, and I'm going to challenge him this year to be that great leader that, that's not afraid to step up and get in anybody's face. And, you know, the, and I think the sky's the limit for Marcus, man. Great feet. You know, he, he, like I said, he's one of those guys that wants to get better every day at practice. Yeah, you know, I was going to say, is he like that, though? I mean, he'll lead by example, for sure. If he's the first one in, the last one to go, and he makes plays on Sundays, that's a huge example. But is he the kind of guy that will get up in somebody's grill if he has to? I've seen I've seen it on on few occasions, but like I said, that's one. That's going to be one thing that you know me and me and Brian and Rackpo always sit and talk about it. You know, we're going to have to challenge Marcus to hey, don't be afraid to check a guy because we have your back. And if everybody sees that, hey, we're behind Marcus. You know, he's our quarterback. No matter what what he says, it goes. We're going to be your muscle, Marcus. So don't worry about anything else. And I think that's something that we're having. We're having that same core group of guys coming back that's going to continue to buy into the system that believes in everything that our coaches are saying and, most importantly, following the lead of the guy, of the veteran guys on the team. We have five pro bowlers coming back. And what could be what, – what, what can't you not learn from a pro bowl guy that's, that's that we have a tight end as a pro bowler, a D lineman as a pro bowler, a linebacker that's a pro bowler, a freaking running back that's a pro bowler. It's so much knowledge to be shared in our locker room. And I think that's going to allow us to be – to be a, a really a really good force this year. Mario Andretti is my guest. Mario, it is so good to talk to you once again. How are you today? Wonderful, Jim. Wonderful. Thanks for having me on. It's great to have you on, Mario. Great to hear your voice. Now, we're over a week away from the Indy 500, and you have won, Mario, in pretty much every form of motorsports. So what is it about the Indianapolis 500 that makes it so special? Well, it's the event itself. It's, uh, you know, the tradition uh, it's arguably the best-known motor race on the planet, so uh, it's got a lot of value in every way, career-wise, and um, you know, and all the things that you strive for, uh, you know, throughout your life. And uh, so, again, it can make a lot of difference in a very positive way. 
That's why everybody just wants to win this thing. you got to get it under your belt. It makes a difference. Mario Andretti joining us. Now, the Indy 500 and the Daytona 500 are two incredibly iconic races. You were the honorary race official at Daytona this year. So when you look back on your win at Daytona in 1967, what kind of memories do you have and what do you remember the most? Well, Jim, uh, you know, when you talk about winning, uh, the memories are always good. <laughs> and, uh couldn't be better. Uh, obviously, I had the team, I had the car, and uh, everything worked out for me. But, um, you know, certainly I was not expected. Uh, but uh, when things are right, you know, any race driver can uh, take, uh, you know, everything that's there in a race car. And uh, it certainly was my day because uh, certainly I did not luck into it. You know, I, I led 118 of 200 laps. So uh, things were good for me all day. Mario Andretti, my guest, you know, when you go way back growing up, you and your brother Aldo parked cars when you were in Italy. Did you ever think back then that you would spend your entire life racing cars and have the kind of life and career you've had? Oh, gosh. I mean, uh, Jim, there's no way. Uh, you have a dream, but uh, you have no way of knowing. Uh, you can only hope uh, that uh, a lot of these things could come true. But, uh, but the important thing is to have, uh, you know, ambitious dreams, ambitious goals, and then you go after it. Uh, without that, obviously, uh, you know, uh, you have to have that mindset, and then, then there's a hope, and that's uh, that's one thing that uh, I, many times I didn't even want to express myself loudly, you know, because I want people to laugh at me. But again, I was always reaching for the stars. Mario Andretti joining us. You know, the thing that made you so unique, in one sense, was that you could race on track on any track, in any car. I mean, there's some great drivers in a given discipline who simply cannot make the transition to another type of driving, but you did it so well. How were you able to be that versatile and that successful in any race, in any car? I think it's basically the desire to do it, the passion and desire to do it, and, and, and you know, like to meet the challenges. Uh, uh, you can derive just a special satisfaction out of uh, trying to conquer you know, the different disciplines are not necessarily a specialty, as you said, but uh, motor racing offers that at the top level. You know, there are several ways to go, and then uh, then you have some of your peers, uh, you know, trying to be successful. So, you know what, i got to do that myself. And, uh, and quite honestly, I mean, that's uh, the part of my career that I cherish the most. So you have a certain mindset, and then you're able to translate those skills to different cars and different tracks. As an example now, you have Fernando Alonso. He's the two-time Formula World Champion. He's racing at the Indy 500 this year. I know the two of you saw each other recently. He said he was trying to learn as much as he could from you about the Indy 500. Can you share what that conversation was like and what kind of advice you had for him? Well, obviously, uh, once he got running, you know, he had his own questions and uh, good questions, uh, very pertinent to, uh, you know, what to expect. And, um, you know, guys like myself and my son, Michael, you know, we're uh, there to help if, uh, if he's asking for it. And all you, can, all you can do is just clarify certain things. But uh, I like when uh, a driver that, uh, you know, that is new on the scene that uh, comes up and, uh, and, and, and is, is asking, you know. And, uh, and to me, that's a mark of, uh, of a real professional. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he's in a simulator uh, every day, and uh, he's he's taking this thing seriously. And uh, because of that, I think he has a shot at really, you know, bringing home uh, a result. And and he's here that for that. That's what I like. You know, his mindset is that you know I'm here to to win this race, not just just to ride. And 
And if you don't have that mindset, you lick before you start. But he certainly isn't. I mean, he's uh, and he is showing obviously that um, he's uh, he's serious and uh, and so far, like in practice. I mean, uh, lately he's just been like top five just about every practice period. And uh, and today they have uh, you know some extra horsepower. They're giving him extra boost, like uh, it's going to be for tomorrow for qualifying. And uh, he's right up there, you know, top four, I think, uh, top five. And uh, my hat's off to him, you know. And uh, and again, uh, that's uh, you know that's a race driver for you. You racing legend Mario Andretti, my guest. You know, Mario, I want to ask you about Sam Schmidt. He's a 52-year-old quadriplegic in, in a semi-autonomous car, and you raced against him. He was paralyzed in a crash in Orlando back in 2000, and he was fired up for that race. Now you're an icon. You're beloved everywhere you go. But Schmidt that day was the crowd favorite. What was it like for you to be a part of a race like that? Oh, actually, uh, I, I really enjoyed, uh, you know, joining, uh, you know, joining him on trying to promote uh, what's available, the technology that's available for individuals like themselves. And uh, you know, he said it best. He said, you know, I, I really feel like myself when I'm in that race car, is in control of things. And uh, and so again, yeah, and kudos to. Uh, to our electronics because uh, they're not making a business of this. Uh, everything that they uh, come up with as far as technology is open for anyone to come in and either make it better or use it. Uh, so it's, it's a global thing. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just happy that they asked me. And, and then, of course, we had a little bit of a race, and, uh, and he was very kind to me, obviously. Uh, he could have just run away. For me, but uh, we battled to the end. <laughs> always, Mario. Always. And, uh, and people got a kick out of it, you know. But um, uh, they give him more. They're giving me credit that I don't deserve because I had to cheat like hell, you know. Just <laughs> had to cut the corners and everything. <laughs> yeah, I like it. If you're not cheating, you're not trying. And it's only cheating if you get caught. You're all good. Now you won the Indianapolis 500 on Firestone tires in 1969. You're working with them right now as part of the Race Andretti campaign, where fans try to bet you in various skills, like playing the piano, opening cans with a can opener, and other challenges. You looked very solid to me playing chopsticks on the piano. How are your piano skills right now? Oh, my piano skills are amazing. Amazing. <laughs> you're right. You know, and then, and that did, the Egg PO 500 also really got the best of me. But, um, you know, that's quite a challenge. I, I, I welcome any challenges on this one. And uh, you know what? You better be lucky because uh, I put a lot into this. So you're playing to win. They better be lucky. Now, fans, fans, they can uh, enter. you got to try to enter yourself. It's a real challenge, believe me. Alvin, are you ready? Are you ready to roll the week that was? Then don't wait any longer, Alvin. Get it. And your Friday. Hello. Hi. Welcome to the jungle. What's going on? Hope you had a good weekend. My name is Jim Rome. Great to be alive. Let's start with Golden State and San Antonio. Wild game. This is not good. Kawhi Leonard is down right in front of the No, I don't think it was on purpose. I don't think that's controversial play. He was contesting his shot. I think it was just really, really bad luck. You want to know how we feel? That's how we feel. Watch the film, Rome. Plaza steps out and to the left. Back and to the left. Watch the film, Rome. He steps out and to the left. Chris Haynes is my guest. He's just not 
not the most balanced, graceful guy. It was just bad faith. Family and his friends watching him play. I don't know how you cheer for a guy like that. Play the game hard. Pull a stick out of your growing every show. Yeah, obviously, he doesn't Troll like that. Troll by any means necessary. End quote. And he's at it again, and it's working again. Little stick in the groin that's a spear. If you ain't rubbing, you ain't raising. Pierre McGuire, my guest. How much of that, though, was about Ottawa and what they were doing defensively with their trap? And then how much of that was about Pittsburgh just not taking shots? You are so plugged in, Jim. It's a pleasure talking to you. It had a lot to do with Ottawa. Save the whales! Meat is murder! Click it or tick it! A hot dog is not a sandwich! Medium rare! Playing spin the bottle with the sheep. Thorn from Denver! Epileptic from Denver. The clones that are constantly yelling that it was so much better back in the day. On some level, it was. Golly, slippery eel. That was Mikhail like. The most unlikely one-man army we'll ever see in the history of playoff basketball. That's the dude who buried Death Row, D.C. Chris Mannix joining us. How do you explain how this team went from being down 2-0 to the Bulls to being in the conference finals now? What happened? Rajon Rondo yep. happened. They would have lost that series if Rondo was healthy. Rondo was carving them up. Do not count. Penguins out. Hey! Hey! My man sounds like a penguin. Hey, hey Batman, screw you. Hey! Jason Cole joining us. The team is looking at Kaepernick and Robert Griffin III. <laughs> I would take Kaepernick a thousand times over RG3. Look, RG3 can't play. No pressure. China doll. No diamonds. Bro, you make it sound like they kicked your ass off the stage for Scott Stack. Fired you for the fray. That dude makes records. Madison freaking rising. Golden State right now is just too good, too talented, too deep, and they're too locked in. They're on a mission, and the Spurs are going to be nothing more than a speed bump on their way to ripping back their title. Mike Brown is my guest. You and the Black Range Rover, you must stop now. You heard the officer. Talking smack on the city with the Golden Gate? I'm about to go to your river so I can drain my snake. Ah! River walk, the urine-filled stream that goes through that city. Email. Hey Van Smack, did you wake Janet and tell her to come ride the train? It's our hour. We need details, Romy. Celtic fans, I would never ever disrespect you by coming here and saying you're going to get swept. I would never disrespect you like that. But you are going to lose in five. Just another pit stop on our banner collection tour. Pistons forward Tobias Harris, my guest. Championship or nothing, so they're cranking up that notch and playing some great basketball. There is no crank counter. Crank it up. Head getting cranked. You've got to get the running game cranked up. There's a crank right in my face. LeBron unloads a three. And LeBron was clowning these guys, mocking them, messing with them. He had a concussion last year. Sweetheart. How was your show? They're out of control. I don't know what to do. You want me to come over and shoot him? You want us to come over and shoot him? Steve Miocic joining us. So when you show up to work as the UFC heavyweight champ, what do the other guys in the station make of that, and then how do they treat you? Uh, well, I usually walk in and say congratulations, and they'll hand me like a scrubber and say get to the toilet. I'm about to push it in front, they score! The Ducks were that amazing, that they went that hard. They went that far out of their way to choke that game away. And to come back and win in overtime was absolutely incredible. Not dead. Can't quit. You've got the phone number. I've got the real estate. I am the idol maker. I can make you a star. Call right now. I love it. Any list, any poll is a troll. Polls are trolls. Charlie Blackman, the mullet's not a hairdo. It's a lifestyle. Darn right. I love my mullet. I mean, I think it looks good. You know, I think it kind of fits my personality. It's one of the best decisions I've ever made. Poll.
pull out stuff. Uh, Christy uh, Alley. Christy Alley. Pull out uh, stuff. Uh, Maverick. Uh, Condoms. Uh, Dr. Pepper. Uh, Wesley Woodyard. Kind of starstruck. Like, I'm sitting next to freaking James Brown. Mario Andretti is my guest. They're giving me credit that I don't deserve. I had to cheat like hell, you know, just had to cut the corners and everything. Really? Oh yeah. Uh, reaction. Sweet, sweet. Laugh out loud. Tell your mom. This kid is wrong. I want to eat his children. It's the job done. Cranks every time I turn the key. Son, I'm gonna get my tail out there and come shadow you for a couple of weeks. Good night now. Alvin, that's as good as it gets. Now that was really strong. Really, really strong. Way to end the week, Alvin Deloro. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. You know, I appreciate it. Hit subscribe if you have not already. Tell a friend if you haven't done that. And most of all, you trust that podcast. Check back Monday for more Daily Jungle. Have an amazing weekend. See you then. How to show up with Coca-Cola energy. You're tired and you're thinking of canceling on your friends. Don't do it. Every time you cancel on a friend, a unicorn loses its horn and becomes a regular horse. Do you really want that on your conscience? Instead, grab an ice-cold can of Coca-Cola Energy with delicious Coke taste and reinvigorating energy. Keep the unicorns alive. Show up every day with Coca-Cola Energy. Energy you want, taste you love.